0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Mm. Greetings
2: and welcome to the Jewel Network Science Broadcast Frequency. The Jewel Network is a radio frequency of continuous streaming science knowledge and wisdom which promotes and sustain the activation of present evolutionary process of immortality and the unfolding of the god self within the evolutionary planetary society on planet earth the jewel network is committed to broadcasting the science of life and the science of living by cultivating the mind of a scientist you'll be enabled to extract the very best the current 21st century has to offer you are listening to Deborah's Healing Kitchen with your host, author, speaker, and myth culinary expert with Dr. Joel Puku's EQ's Medicine Professional Alliance, Ms. Deborah Peake Ames.
0: Hello, welcome again to Deborah's Healing Kitchen. I am so glad to be with you today to present to you a wonderful doctor who has great information that he will be sharing with us. So I hope you have your pen and your paper ready or your mental computer because this is going to be awesome. I'm really excited to always bring to us people that have different perspectives on health because we need to look at it from a very holistic vantage point. Everything is connected. And so I really am excited about having Dr. Jeffrey Hubbard on with us today. And I am going to ask him to say hello and then I have some questions that I need to ask so we can get started. Dr. Hubbard, how are you?
3: I'm doing wonderful. I'm excited to be here. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, and it's so good to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be um, on Deborah's Hill and Kitchen today. I really appreciate it.
3: It's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here.
0: If you wouldn't mind, give us a little background on uh, what led you to the practice that you have now and give us a little bit of information about how you like to practice uh, your your medical practice.
3: Okay. Um, So I'll give you a little trip down memory lane. Um, A lot of how I got here is because of my experiences with my own family and people who are close to me. Um, So my father, uh, he passed away when I was two years old. So um, it really, you know, things kind of jump-started a a different trajectory. My mom and I became really close, but she also traveled for work, and it required me to spend time with my grandparents. And um, so obviously they were older and going to the doctor quite frequently. And so about 14 or 15, I negotiated my way um into driving for the first time and learning how to drive because I would drive them to their medical appointments, I would drive them to the grocery store, I would drive them to different places that they needed to go. And so anyway, you, you were me,
0: fourteen or fifteen?
3: Yeah, yeah. So well, I Wow, okay,
0: you're good negotiator, was able to okay. Convince them.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um so, you know, they were nice enough to kinda of teach me, you know, uh around the parking lot in church, those sorts of places and then I got to hit the road. But anyway, um, spending time with them, seeing them experience their changes in their health and um, interacting with their doctors, et cetera, et cetera, they were always interested in talking to me when we went to these appointments. And so uh, it just cultivated a, a, a real spirit of of healing with me and, and trying to understand medical terminology and all of those sorts of things. And so um I also really love science, and I'm pretty good at building rapport with people. You know, I speak a bunch of languages, if you will. Um, So that all is what kind of led me on the path to uh, become a medical doctor, to go to medical school, and so um, that's kind of how I got into the the practice of medicine, the the field, uh, the industry itself, Um, and Along that journey though i I had several adverse things happen I mean different family members had amputations uh, heart attacks, diabetes, you know the list goes on and on my my grandmother right. developed cancer, and so I just started to take a step back and look at things from a more uh holistic, broad perspective as I got into my own practice and figuring out hey what's the root cause of a lot of these issues and Um, How can we prevent these things from happening in the first place? You know, how can we go upstream of these issues and begin to modify our lifestyle? You know, uh, how can I educate patients on the things that they're doing that are contributing to the development of these diseases? Um, How can we involve some therapeutic sessions or some therapeutic equipment into the fold to help people to better understand what's going on with them and also how we can begin to make some improvement at the root of the causes of some of these chronic diseases. So that's
0: kind of where we are. If you don't mind, I I just want to ask you this question because I have heard this from uh, many physicians and healthcare professionals that in med school you get very little information on nutrition. And so in your case, was that what happened with you? And did you have to go on to learn more uh, formally, and also through your research
3: um that is a true statement. I got zero classes on nutrition. I mean obviously, zero. we learned a lot about the gastrointestinal system and how it works and how you absorb those nutrients, but not necessarily how those nutrients actually made a difference in our overall health we didn't wow. we didn't get any education on that at all,
0: wow. So then how were you able to incorporate that in what you're doing now? Did you go back to school for that, or did you do your own research, or how did you approach that?
3: Well, I think, you know, when you're a professional, you become a lifelong student, and so you're required to keep in in touch with all of the new developments in your field. I, I think that's a part of your responsibility. Um, So I try to read a lot and stay up to up to snuff uh, with the the latest research and things like that. And I've just always been a student. And so there's several different disciplines of medicine. And, you know, predominantly here in the United States, the focus is on traditional allopathic MD medicine. Um, But if you. You know, it doesn't take you to do too much study to find out about several other disciplines and modalities. And they have their uh, pros and cons as well. And so I just try to study as much as I can and find all of the beneficial things in the way that multiple people practice.
0: Wow. Well, that's wonderful. So can you give us a little bit of information about how you approach chronic conditions? Maybe you could tell us some of those more common ones. You already mentioned uh, some previously.
3: Right. Um, I mean, so, I mean, the statistics are unbelievable, actually. I think it's up to 300 million Americans are said to have prediabetes. And obviously we know that uh, obesity, both in the pediatric population and in adults, is really uh, at its highest level in history. And we have to take a step back and think about the things that we're putting in our mouths or what we're not putting in our mouths. Um, well, so right. I have a friend, a colleague, and she always says, you know, we're digging our graves with our teeth. And so um, the first thing is to really become aware of how certain foods are affecting us. And so I, I think right. we need to be uh, much more uh, you know, wellness conscious or you know, health conscious when it comes to our diet and our lifestyle and, and what we're doing. If we're not aware of certain things that are affecting us, you know, we know about food allergies to say peanuts. If you go into anaphylactic shock and you your airway closes up and all of these sorts of things, obviously we want to stay away from something that could be life threatening. But what if the food allergy is maybe to lactose? and we're eating cheese on almost everything that we consume, you're not going to have anaphylactic shock and and kill over and die in the booth. But over time, if you continue to ingest things that don't agree with you and you say, oh, you know, this makes my stomach hurt and you know that these things bother you, but you continue to eat them, you know, that's a recipe for problems. And so, you know, you got to think about certain things in the long run, you know, um, fast food on a consistent basis, we know is not good for us. It's just the right. reality of the situation. Um, so that would be the first, um, you know, approach is figuring out what minerals we need, what nutritional level we need to be optimally functional, and how we attain that. You know, what foods are we eating? What supplements are we taking? How are we impacting our daily nutrition? And then, you know, the second step really for me in approaching the chronic conditions is understanding all of the, what I call seven pillars of wellness and figuring out, as you mentioned, everything is interconnected. And if we just right. do one thing or the other, that, that doesn't get us to the root cause of the problem. So let me just run down, you know, those seven. We've got spiritual wellness, psycho-emotional wellness, physical wellness is what everybody thinks of when you think health and wellness. We have also, occupational and financial wellness, uh, what I like to call intellectual wellness, social wellness, and environmental wellness. And so we need to be cognizant of each of those different areas and how that affects our health. And in a lot of right. instances, we only think about diet and, oh, I need to go to the gym. We don't think about how stress or poor emotional thoughts about yourself, you know, poor sleep patterns. Um, right. Not having a good spiritual connection and being grounded in your spirituality, you know, you're going to a job that you absolutely hate, and you're not making enough money to really afford you the lifestyle that you prefer. You know, all of these things contribute on either a, a psychological level, a physical level, um, you know, an emotional level. So we have to be really aware of all of those things. So to me, it's, it's a real, uh, requires a thorough analysis and data collection first, right, just to be able to fully determine why you have these symptoms that we call chronic disease states. You know, so right. the diabetes, the hypercholesterolemia, the, uh, you know, high blood pressure, chronic high blood pressure, or you have coronary artery disease, I mean, the list goes on and on and on, and we haven't even talked about autoimmune stuff yet. So, I mean, there's there's so many different areas that need to be addressed, and I think the most people just don't have any idea how these other things factor into their their symptoms.
0: Right, right. Well, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that and talking about how everything is connected because, um, you know, my husband preached a sermon and, uh, well, he's actually said this several times, is that the westernized way of thinking is that everything is separate. But the African way of thinking is everything is connected. And so, like you say, many times we just talk about our physical body without understanding what our emotional state has, as far as its impact, whether it's positive or negative. So I really appreciate that you do include those things, you know, when you're talking to your to your patient. So my other my question regarding that, you know, in our in the African American community, um, as a, uh, my my mentor would say, you know, Dr. Joel Fukum she'll say, in, in the melanated community, um, mm-hmm. we're having all types of health issues for you know, several different reasons, but I want you to tell me, do you have any wonderful testimonies from someone that has come to you and did exactly what you said to do and they were able to overcome, you know, their their condition, whether it was chronic or, or otherwise?
3: Yes, um, we have quite a few testimonials in, in different capacities as well. But but I think it's important when we're talking about um, African-American or melanated people's health. It's so powerful to share that the medical community as a whole is taught and and believes, for that matter, that African people are predisposed genetically to certain disease states. And I'm here to explain that that is just not the truth. It is, outdated information and yes there is statistics don't lie you know um, but the story is not being fully explained and so instead of being genetically predisposed to diabetes to um, cancer to cardiovascular disease etc you need to look at the cultural and ethnic predisposition right to eat certain foods to um, have issues because we are outside of our normal environmental habitats. You know, we we are very far from the equator, so we're not getting adequate sunlight for our skin. Uh, We're not synthesizing vitamin D effectively. We're not getting the right nutrients and minerals for our optimal functioning. Um, And the list goes on and on. And so, however, I do think that there is a genetic predisposition to the development of certain symptoms when we eat an American diet.
0: And that's, I
3: think, what what needs to be at the forefront is that when you eat a more plant-based diet and you eat a clean diet, then these, these diseases, so to speak, don't even pop up. As a matter of fact, you are the pinnacle of health in that instance. But if Mm -hmm. you do eat an unhealthy diet that composes of processed foods and the fried foods and the dairy and and all of the carbohydrates, um, yes, you are going to begin to develop atherosclerosis and inflammatory processes and all of these sorts of things that lead to chronic conditions that we are, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, predisposed to. And so that's such an important conversation. But, um, yes, I mean, when somebody – that they're tired of being poked and prodded and having these different components of their uh, physiology start to fail then that comes you know they've revolutionized their health they come together in ways that they didn't even believe that they would and so um, you know I've seen it time and time again where people's hemoglobin A1c which is um, I think you probably talked about this before it's the way that we measure somebody's Blood glucose level over time. I've seen mm-hmm. people in 12, 13, which is, you know, twice what it's normally supposed to be. And then in just six, eight weeks, it can completely uh-huh. revolutionize itself and can
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, be right back into the normal value. I've seen people's blood pressure um, completely reverse itself. Um, you know, Wonderful. I've seen people have you know, all sorts of chronic illnesses, lupus, asthma. Uh, arthritis you know all of these sort of autoimmune diseases and they change the way that they're eating they change their activity level they change their thought process about certain things and boom they're right back in a healthy position
0: that is great that is really really awesome (laughs) excuse me and I know you know I guess the hardest thing for us is to change our habits and to your point a lot of times when I talk to people and of course I'm a lay person but, you know, I'm very passionate about people understanding that they have they are empowered to make a change and a difference in their own lives. But one of the things I find interesting is when people say, Well, you know, uh my aunt, my uncle, my mother, my father, my sister brother, they all had this or they all had that and, you know, we're all predisposed to this and I say, Well, Maybe that's not the issue. Maybe the issue is you all have the same eating habits Mm -hmm. that are unhealthy, or you all have the same way of dealing with stress that may not be the healthiest. So it's not always, you know, it's genetics. It's just you all live in the same type of environment and do the same type of things. And when I say that to them, it's like a light goes off in their heads, like, oh, yeah, I guess so. You know, Mm -hmm. if – Mother and father, you eat pork chops two or three times a week, and then the kid eats pork chops two or three times a week. Well, you' probably have some after effects of that that absolutely. are similar
3: absolutely so I'm it, glad
0: that you you raise that issue
3: it, it, that family it wouldn't surprise me if if diabetes and cancer ran in the family if that if you eat two or three pork chops a week, it wouldn't surprise me,
0: right. Right, and you then, know, then you look because at because
3: pork is not it, well. All meat processing is just not where it should be, in my opinion.
0: Right, 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 right. And uh, unfortunately, many of our you know young people, our children, are being raised on fast foods, which I always tell them is really not food. These are chemicals, basically, because it's not healthy. It's over processed. You know, it's not, you know, fresh produce for the most part. So, um, and then we're creating, so that's going to create a whole nother issue with this generation. I just love the work that you're doing. And, you know, I just hope that you can continue to talk to many, many people coming to you. Now, do you have a, and maybe this is an unfair question, but I just have to ask it. Okay. Do you tend to have better success with uh, men or women?
3: Oh, definitely the sisters are going to win that race. Um, okay. and, um I um, it's a it's a passion of mine also to get to men. And we oftentimes huh, it's interesting, but it makes sense. We we only seek out preventative measures or um, non emergent measures when the issue involves our eyes or our penis. And that's what right. statistics show that most men, that's when they want to go see a healthcare provider is when one of those two things begins to deteriorate. And so if we could get them to have the same emphasis um, about, you know, maybe getting a, 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 an erectile dysfunction solution as we do about cardiovascular disease or kidney disease right. or, you know, our endocrine health and how our hormones are functioning. I think we would right. be healthier as a subsection of Black people, um, you, you know, here in the United States. Um, you know, and I'm you brought up stress earlier because that's killing us. And right. I think that that's why it's such a, a valuable conversation to talk about someone's occupational and financial wellness. You know, mm-hmm. if you're constantly under duress about paying bills and about supporting your family and you know, earning a wage that you can – that that gives you the flexibility to live your life, Um that's right. so stressful. That's so stressful. I mean, you know, you're you're right. not going to be sleeping well. You're going to emotionally eat. You're going to overwork yourself. And mm-hmm. this is just really killing uh our black men, you know, and, right. and our black women for that matter too. I mean, I don't want to make it seem like it's a, a male-related issue. Stress is, is the number one killer – not just for people of of melanated uh, complexion, but for most ethnicities.
0: Right, right. And so
3: that's just a huge conversation and stress has to be understood and the stress mitigation efforts need to be understood. You know, it's like, then you think about all of the, the things that someone does to cope with this stress, you know then we mm-hmm. look at the alcohol, we look at the illicit drugs and the marijuana, we look at the uh the sexual um wellness and behavior you know we, we look at um you know smoking cigarettes um you know and gambling, all sorts of things um, then come to the surface when we talk about how we're handling our stress. you know the all worst right. thing to do is just bottle it up and never address it. You know, right, so right. there's, there's a, definitely a, uh, an, a family or ethnic predisposition to bottling up our stress and not talking right. to someone, not talking to a family member, not uh, finding a healthy way to release that stress, not meditating, you know, not being um, in a still, restful state for very long you know so that's another thing that I like to promote is self-care strategies and mm-hmm. this doesn't necessarily always hit us as as melanated people um, because we spend so much time focused on the financial occupational components we don't get a chance right. to say 30 minutes a day I'm going to meditate and pray and focus on you know optimal positive thoughts um, you know I'm it doesn't necessarily even have to be a meditation. It could just be gardening. It could be exercise. It could be golfing. It could be cooking. It, whatever uh-huh. your particular self-care strategy is that makes you feel happy and euphoric, I just promote right. that you do that every day.
0: Right, right. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, are you a proponent of uh, sleep for a certain amount of hours? Uh, how do you feel about that?
3: Well, I'm, I'm a person who's a sleep hygiene guy. So I want whatever sleep you get to be as best as it possibly can. you know.
0: Mm, deep so, sleep, right?
3: Deep sleep. And you want to move through your sleep cycle quickly to get to REM sleep so that you can begin to have a lot of those restorative processes take place. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of times people have a really difficult time relaxing their mind and getting right. to a state where they can lose consciousness. But you got to take into consideration, you got the TV on, you got social media going on your smartphone, you got um, your spouse or your loved one or somebody wanting to close their day out and have a conversation with you. You got maybe your children that haven't gone to bed yet. So um, there's all of these factors that are uh, affecting your ability to relax and get into a good restful state of sleep.
2: And then you have another
3: group who really don't have a problem going to sleep. They can't just – they can't stay asleep the whole night. And so they find themselves waking up in the middle of the night with these long blocks of time, you know, an hour or two where they don't actually get any sleep. And then, you know, you, you go back to sleep maybe five or six, and then you have to be awake in the next 30 minutes to an hour, just so that you can be prepared for your day. And so right. you, you don't get restful sleep that way either. You know, so obviously those things affect your performance. So right. I, I I suggest anybody who's having sleep problems, you know, you got to remove the TV, you got to remove all of the electronic devices. You really don't need to be sleeping next to the electromagnetic waves of the, the devices anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, take those in the other room. Obviously, you want your lighting to be really uh, well-managed, so the curtains need to be drawn or you need to get some new uh, curtains that allow you to be in complete darkness. Um, I really like sleep aids, um, you know, meditation music or uh, nature music. Um, by an right. all beats are really good. You know, the certain frequencies are great for um stimulating brain function and being healthy while you sleep. Um,
0: right, right.
3: Those, those are the major things that I would suggest in regards to, to the sleep part. Um, do, you, just, um,
0: do you enjoy, uh, excuse me, uh, the essential oils? I love essential oils as well.
3: I do, like too. Like lavender.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I absolutely, and eucalyptus. And so actually that's what I recommend for people to do when they have a little bit of congestion or a uh-huh. little bit of sore throat. You know, if you if you burn the oils on your nightstand, um, you know, with, with tea lights and a little oil burner, you can really um, get a healthy sleep and it can address some of the coughing and, and the lung health and sore throats and, and those sorts of things.
0: Oh, okay. So you're saying if you have some uh, eucalyptus oil or lavender oil, you're saying that if you have it on your nightstand next to you, that can really help as you're sleeping to get into your system to clear up mucus and also relaxation.
3: That is correct. And so I would add in there peppermint. So those are mine. That's that's the trifecta is peppermint, lavender, and eucalyptus.
0: Okay. Well, I love all of those. And I have not thought about putting them together, but that's a great idea. That's wonderful. And so um, – There's something else I wanted to ask you about before we wrap up, because I think this is really, really serious in our community. Um, I don't know exactly where you live, but in my community where there is a high population of African Americans, there are a lot of dialysis centers. And so we're having major problem with kidney failure, which uh, you could explain to us, that comes from a number of uh, things. But I'm really concerned that we're not taking better care of our kidneys so we don't have to get to that state because I understand dialysis can be very painful and very uncomfortable, and it's restrictive as far as, you know, the time that you have. So um, do you have any comments about this happening you know, all over this country in African-American communities?
3: Hmm. So um, there's so much to say about this topic, but I'll keep it really brief. I have both professional and personal experience um, with uh, individuals being on dialysis. My uncle was on dialysis for most of my adult life before he passed away. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, going through the ups and downs of getting a a kidney donated, trying to figure that out, having the kidney be rejected, and then having to go back on dialysis, it was really interesting um, from two perspectives for me. One, his resilience to actually continue the day or every other day treatment. Um, I, I saw how that began to take a toll on him. And then the psychological right. component um, of it all—to um, be an organ failure and to know that your your daily life is predicated by you being not too far away from this device—so um, right. it, it's a very sh- sad and stressful situation for me because you know eighty percent of people on dialysis are black males. Wow,
0: so, I didn't know it was so that high.
3: Some ridiculous number like that, don't quote me on that, but I, I know right, I read but it's, it's too
0: high.
3: that yeah let, let's just say this African American males lead the list of people who are on dialysis let's say that right,
0: and, right, right, and, and this
3: is primarily because we our blood pressure is out of control, and that is the number wow. one way to land yourself on dialysis wow. is by not taking adequate control of your blood pressure. Wow. It is the silent That's killer. It's really
0: important. Right.
3: Yeah, it, it's the silent killer. And um, if you don't know your numbers, if you aren't even aware that your blood pressure is high, then your kidneys are under stress every day. And eventually wow. they just say, you know what, guys, I'm out.
0: Wow. And,
3: and your numbers begin to go up and you aren't able to successfully make enough urine and to manage, you know, your, your fluids, you know, that's, that's your kidney's job. They receive 20% of every heartbeat, and they are supposed to determine how effective your blood pressure is.
0: Wow. If your
3: blood pressure is too high, they remove um, basically different components from your blood, from the plasma, and they make urine with that, and the more urine you make, the better your volume. That's the way that the kidneys adjust the volume of blood that you have in your in your cardiovascular system with each beat. Mm-hmm. And so, many of our drug, uh, blood pressure drugs specifically affect the kidney and the way that the kidney regulates blood volume. Um, so they also regulate how much salt we excrete and how much salt we reabsorb. So in a lot of instances, because culturally, ethnically, we like a lot of salt with our food, we're always overloading our kidneys with the burden of excreting all this extra salt. Right, right. So in in combination, these things are happening over time. So it's not surprising that 30 or 40 years of you having this kind of similar behavior, your blood pressure is too high, you eat too much salt, you know, you you drink too much Crown Royal, you you know, you smoke too many cigarettes, and all of these things are beginning to affect the way the kidney can modify your blood pressure. And if you decide that you actually are going to go and find out, you know, how to do something about it, let's say you're going in for an intervention, you know, the medicines that you're taking, not only are they designed to affect the kidney? But the kidney now is responsible for flushing that out of your system as well. So, right, right. So, you know, in many instances, the blood pressure medicines don't do it. They, they they, just don't do it. People end up on two or three or four, and they don't understand what they're doing in their daily life that's contributing to this blood pressure increase. Mm, mm. So, to me, that's that's where it is. And then the unwillingness to change once you realize that you you can't drink beer anymore. Or you, you can't smoke cigarettes anymore. Or right. you, you can't you can't eat, you know, a, a burger four times a week.
0: Right. Right you, you, can't, right. you
3: can't eat Popeyes anymore. And the gravity right. of that conversation is where we realize that we are addicted to food. We are addicted to right. certain you know, uh, brand names, we're addicted to certain things that come from the, uh, the gas station we're close to or the barbecue place that we frequent or, you know, you, you just can't say no to those things because they've become a part of who you are.
0: Right. That's Now, that's really dangerous. That's yeah, really dangerous when you say it that way. Wow. Well, I think it's, I mean, you've given us, really great insight and understanding of you know just the process and how our choices are affecting us and unfortunately a lot of people depend too much on medication and not want to change their habits and I don't know if you've had this question come up or this response but I, I've asked people well how's your blood pressure you know is it in a good range and they said oh yeah my blood pressure is doing great And then I'll find out they're on blood pressure medicine. I said, well, then your blood pressure is not doing great because you're on medication. Exactly. Exactly. And they said, oh, yeah. And I said, well, you know, you don't have to always have medication if you do what you need to do. Um, But unfortunately, some people just don't want to change their ways. So, you know, I really appreciate you pointing out these things that we really need to consider If we want to have better health, if we want to have a higher quality of life, and a lot of people don't even take into consideration, well, I may live longer, but then what type of quality of life will I have? And Um, so thank you. Yeah, so I I, I really do appreciate that.
3: I I am a, (laughs) we're talking about addictive behaviors. I am addicted to traveling. I am a travel junkie. I love it. And too. <laughs> I, I just could not fathom only being able to go away for a day or two because I need a dialysis treatment. That right. would tear me apart.
0: Right. You know, so right.
3: it's, it's like things like that for me personally get, gets me out of bed and to the gym or gets me out of bed and, you know, instead of uh, a cup of coffee, I, I want a good herbal tea, Instead of a big, mm-hmm. you know, um, unhealthy breakfast with bacon and sausage and cheese grits, uh, you know, it makes me make a smoothie. Because right. when, when I'm 65 and it's my turn to retire, I want to travel all over the place and enjoy the fruits of my labor. I, I don't want to be right. confined to dialysis treatment centers or to an oxygen tank, or to a colostomy bag. I mean, there's a lot of ways that I would want to check out. Um, Right, exactly. And I think if, if people had a better appreciation for what these diseases or these symptoms eventually become, I think that they would be really motivated in a different sort of way to prevent that from happening.
0: Right, right, right. Yes, you're right. And, you know, good health does give you freedom. And to do and move around as you please. So yeah, that's a that's a really good point, and we all need to be aware of that. Well, uh, Dr. Huber, please tell us how can people get in touch with you? Please give us your website and the best way to contact you if they're interested in a consultation. Now, your pra- does your practice allow uh, phone consultations or what do you call it, telemedicine? Or explain how yes. you run your practice.
3: So actually, that's more than 90% of, of what we do, and, and I say we because I, I work with a couple other clinicians, um, you know, who think the same way and who um, are looking for patients who want a more holistic sort of approach. Um, but mm-hmm. you can find my website is www.commedicare, which is the company's name. It's K-E-M. E-T-I-C-A-R-E dot com. And you can find us on pretty much all of the social media, um, outlets by searching the business name, Comedicare. Again, it's K-E-M-E-T-I-C-A-R-E. Uh, so Mm -hmm. we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on YouTube, uh, we're on LinkedIn, um, we're on Twitter, um, and so we're continuing to build our social media presence, um, and then I also am um, basically the resident physician at a health and wellness studio in DeSoto, Texas called Hey Healer. And um, so I'm here pretty much by appointment only and I'm really starting to get some more concrete office hours. But the you can always uh, set a consultation or book some services with me here. Or just contact us over the phone. Uh the number is 972-215-7826. Again, nine seven two two one five seven eight two six. And okay, so wonderful. Um, yep, absolutely.
0: Well, Dr. Hubbard, thank you so very much and I hope that you will agree to uh come back to Deborah's Hilling Kitchen at another time and we could talk about so many so many other things that affect our health and our overall wellness so thank you so much for what you're doing and how you're helping people and not just what you're doing but how you think about what you're doing so we really do appreciate you and for any everyone else listening thank you for coming back to deborah's healing kitchen you can also um, contact me via my website, which is www.debrapeekhaines.com, and that's D-E-B-R-A-P-E-E-K, and that's P as in Paul, dot scom Thanks again for taking time to listen to us today, and hopefully there has been something that was said to inspire you and to encourage you to live a healthier, well life. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day.
1: Humanity is experiencing a vast variety of disorders. HIV, Zika virus, Ebola, hypertension, meningitis, STD, Alzheimer's, and many others. These disorders are the results of not knowing how to live within and navigate the human body. Most of us have learned how to drive a car, but have yet to learn how to care for and navigate our bodies. Enroll into the Jewel University of Immortal Sciences for Immortal Living, to learn how to navigate and maintain a disease-free body. Visit us at www.juis.education or visit us on Facebook. Mm,
2: Thank you for listening to the Jewel Network Science Broadcast Frequency. Join Deborah P. Canes here each Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on The Jewel Network. Hosted by TheJewelNetwork.com, ePortMedicine.com, and DeborahSealingKitchen.com. For our complete broadcast schedule, additional information, and to purchase products, please visit our website at www.thejewelnetwork.com. If you'd like to contact Ms. Deborah, please send your email to Deborah P. at juis.education or follow us on Facebook
1: at Deborah's Healing Kitchen. Thank you. This broadcast is under full copyright and trademark protection owned by the House of Jewels. This broadcast in its entirety, nor any part of this broadcast, can be reproduced, copied, transcribed, placed in podcast format, placed into mp3 format or suspended on any internet digital location without express permission from the house of jewels washington state usa to reproduce or suspend this broadcast in any digital location other than the jewel network is prohibited and legal proceedings will follow accordingly thank you for listening